on marriage. No, it got so quiet, and the only person that clapped was a single woman. Whoa! I'm going to get my man. How many have been married a while? Okay, you know you've been married a while. When Husbands, when your wife tells you to strip, but it's only to make room in the washer. She, needs, she wants to get those clothes in the washer real quick. Come on. Y'all know what I'm saying? Hey, are you, is that dirty? Take that off right now. Go throw it in here. Uh, but we're starting this series on marriage and relationships. Uh, how many single people in the house? Come on. You're not married single. Get those hands up. Get them up. I'm trying to help you out. Get them up. Look around. Look around. Some of y'all, well, I was hoping you would have us pray and hold hands, Pastor. <laughs> but single people, listen, here's the thing. Um, don't think that just because this is called marriage stories, that there's not something you can learn and grasp from it. Uh, because I guarantee you, there are things in this series that, if you will grab hold of them, can save you some heartbreak, can save you some time. Can save you some emotional distress. Are you with me? And that's whether you're young and single and, and have never really been. Or if you've walked through a divorce and have had some hurts. I'm here to tell you uh, that, that you will gain something from this. With that being said. Now I need you. How many married folks do we have in the house? <laughs> Men and Denise have been happily married for 20 years. We've been married for 29 years, this, but happily. <laughs> Y'all are a little slow, a little slow there. We're coming up on 29 years this April. 29 years, that woman has got to wake up to this every day. She is one lucky woman. Uh, Marriage, marriage. We're going to look at marriage and relationships, uh, but we're going to look at um, we're going to look at them from a biblical perspective, because uh, when you look at marriages in the Bible, uh, they weren't all great. And I think there's some things we can learn. You know, I, I remember sev uh, several years ago, Zion, our, our son, came and said, "Dad, uh, what's it like being married?" I said, "I don't have time for this. Get away from me." He walked off, so I walked off, found him a few minutes later and said, why are you ignoring me? That's what marriage is like. <laughs> I told that joke to my wife. She said, I'm not like this. I said, no, you're not, babe. You are not. <laughs> where, where are my ladies? Ladies in the house. Come on, female species. Raise those hands. Now, how many... How many of you, when you were younger, you had this vision of what your wedding day might one day be like? Yeah. And, and then with that, you had what your marriage, the dream marriage, even down to how many kids you were going to have or not have. And you even had their names picked out. I, I think Sheridan has got names for, for the next two or three. I don't know how many she's, she already knows. Uh, so you had those expectations of what your wedding day would be, what your marriage would be. Okay, men, where are my men? 
Now, remember, I told y'all this marriage series was going to be PG-13. We're going to talk about real issues, right? Men, when you thought about what married life was going to be about, how many of you thought, whoa, I cannot wait till I get married. I'm going to get to be with my wife whenever I want to, three, four times a day. Some of y'all are honest. Now, in, in either one of those situations, how many has the soundtrack of that, those expectations turned into Aerosmith's dream on, dream Come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we set these expectations, and let's be real, a society has almost set us up for failure by giving us a false concept of what love, what marriage, and what relationships look like. And it's, it's very evident to me that our society is, uh, is confused about what real love looks like. Uh, we teach our girls from an early age, if you do this, if you do that, you play your card right, you will meet V1. Come on. Now, let, let, let me uh, just kind of take the pressure off some of you. Uh, you know, because I grew up with a philosophy. Everybody has the one. There's only one God has for you. If that's true, it only takes one person to mess that equation up. Right? That person marries the wrong one. Well, then it's all messed up because now nobody can marry the one because one person threw it all off. Now, I do believe that this woman, it was put here for me, that there is a place. But here's what I'm saying is when we put all that pressure on one person, we almost set them up to fail. We, set, we, we almost set them up to fail. So today we're going to look at uh, the first marriage we're going to look at is found in Genesis 29. We're going to look at a couple. Actually, it's three people. Uh, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Uh, let me give you a little backstory. If you don't really know this story, it's all right. Jacob is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, Jacob has uh, done a lot of deceiving in his life and made enemies with his brother. And so uh, he, his mom, Rebekah, her, uh, her other son is going to kill uh, Jacob because of some misdealings he's done. So she's, she talks to her husband and says, send him off to get married. Send him to another part of the country to get married. So, well, it was no secret that uh, Jacob was a mama's boy and his brother was a daddy's boy. So, so, but he sends him off. He ends up at this well in Padan Aram where he sees this beautiful young woman walking his way. She's watering sheep. Her name is Rachel. The Bible says she was one of two daughters of Laban. He sees a woman named Rachel who was one of two daughters by a man named Laban. Who was Laban? Laban was Jacob's uncle. Some of y'all right now told you it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Jacob literally went to a family reunion to meet his wife. <laughs> he said, that ain't funny, is it, sis? <laughs> and that would be funny if it wasn't true. No, no. <laughs> but, but Jacob lays eyes on Rachel. 
And the Bible says he immediately falls in love with her. He, he didn't know her. He just saw her and he might say, she is the one. If I can just marry her, I'll have my happily ever after. If I can just marry her, my life will, fi- will finally have meaning. Now, when Denise and I do premarital counseling, one of the things we ask each couple is this. We, we want to find out their history, where they come from, how they were raised, where, are, about their parents. Are their parents married? Are their parents divorced? Uh, how was their relationship with their parents? Why? Because when you take two people that come from two totally different backgrounds, raised differently, one comes from a divorce home. One comes where the mom and dad were married for 30 years. Different ideas are coming into that relationship. Are you following me? And, and with this, Jacob has come from a very dysfunctional home. Jacob's uh, dad, he, he knows he was not his dad's favorite. He didn't really have the love of his dad. Uh, his brother had the love of his dad, but Jacob was the mama's boy. And, and so now he, he, he never felt the acceptance of his dad. And I don't know if you've ever felt that. Me, I grew up with an incredible dad. But men and Denise have counseled with enough men and women that had an absent father or had a father that they had to always try to, to, to get to be accepted by them. And when that is the relationship between a son, daughter, and a father, it can leave you jaded. It can leave you with some voids that you end up trying to fill the rest of your life if God doesn't do some healing inside of you. Are, are you with me? So here's Jacob. He's emotionally, an emotional train wreck. Jacob lays eyes on Rachel, this beautiful young woman, and she, he's thinking, she will complete me. She's the one. She'll feel the emptiness inside of me. And not a lot has changed today. You, you have a young woman that gets her value from who she's dating. And because of that, you, you never see her without a boyfriend. Come on. We've all got those friends. Don't look to the left or the right. But we've got those that they find their, they find their value when somebody else is telling them they're pretty, somebody else is telling them they're, they're, they're this or that. And so they go from that relationship because that's where they find their value. Same with men. I've known guys, man. They, you, they will never go a day without a girlfriend, Cole Jackson. They will never go a day. I'm sorry. Did that come out, Cole? I am so sorry, man. Thus saith the Lord. But it, it, it's the same. Or you're trying to fill that emptiness. Maybe it's a man or uh, uh, woman. They, you've been married 25, 30 plus years. Been a faithful father, been a faithful husband, been a faithful wife, a faithful mother. But then you get bored. You don't feel attractive anymore. And then you're on social media. Somebody hits you up. Somebody compliments you at work. And then you feel a spark. Oh, I haven't felt like this in a while. And then before you know it, that conversation gets out of hand. What is happening? In every one of these scenarios, what is happening is somebody trying to feel a void, trying to feel worth, trying to feel like they're alive. And, and so Jacob lays eyes on Rachel and thinks, she's the one. She will fill this void. And that's where we're going to jump into this story, Genesis chapter 29, starting with verse 16 and 17. Now Laban, 
that's Jacob's uncle, had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Look at this description. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. I don't think they're saying that uh, she couldn't see well. Because if it was, hey, Leah had, had uh, weak eyes, but Rachel had strong eyes. I think it's about like, hey, uh, you, hey, you want to go out with my friend? Well, what's she look like? Oh, she's got a great personality. <laughs> Come on. And so it's not saying that. What they're saying is, hey, Rachel's beautiful, got a great body. Leah, not so much. Not so much. And so when they say that, so you may think, Kelly, you're so shallow. Listen, I'll say this. What attracted me to this woman that I'm getting ready to celebrate 29 years ago was not her, first her personality. I saw this woman and I thought, she's fine. I'm going to get with that right there. And I, you got to lay the pictures, real sweet church girl. I come in from California, jet black hair down to here. I've got five earrings here, four earrings over here. I've got a shirt on that says heavenly metal. It'll rock the hell out of you. And she says, there's a bad boy that I need to tame. <laughs> and she's been trying ever since. But it wasn't her personality. Why? Because I believe, I believe God uh, intended on us to be attracted to the one he wants us to spend our life with. Come on. And so to be honest, that, but that's all Jacob was looking at. He didn't know Rachel. He just saw her outward appearance, her outward beauty. He said, she's hot. I want her. He doesn't know Rachel at all. And while finding someone attractive is important, that's not all there is. Come on. And Jacob, who's never really known love, he meets Rachel, and he's like, I have been empty my entire life. I've never really known love. If I marry her, marriage is the answer to the way I feel inside. Marriage is the answer to what's going on inside of me. And here's, if you're taking notes, if you're at a point where you think marriage is the answer, here's some problems with that. When marriage, when you believe marriage is the answer, you compromise more than you should. You compromise. You give up things not only that are important to you, but things that are important to God because you think this will meet that need. Let me show you this, verse 18. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, which just kills me, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Anybody dating? In here, come on, if you're dating, it's all right, raise your hand. I know there's more than rich dating. Get, get them up. Now, I want you to turn to that person you're dating and say, will you work for my dad for seven years for me? <laughs> and and I, I realize this in this culture we're in, that women find this offensive. But ladies, can I tell you this? If you don't find a man that'll work from you, you work for you, you better move on. You better move on because relationships and marriage are work. They are work. And, and this, but in this culture here, 
The way you purchased a wife, the way you got a wife, you bought her either by working for the father, by livestock, uh, money, if you had money. Apparently, Jacob didn't have no money, so he's offering to work for her. And Jacob says, hey, I'll work seven years to be able to make her my wife. Now, you may be romantic and thinking, oh, that's so romantic. But no, no, this tells me something about Jacob's negotiating skills. The first thing, he did, seven years? Why is that terrible? Because in these days, here was the, here's what you normally work for a wife, two years. And Jacob starts out with over three times what it's normally said, I'll go above and beyond because that will fill the void in my life. I'm going to compromise in areas because that's going to fill the void in my life. And honestly, it's still being done every day. There are girl, young girls that they, they want to save their body until marriage. But then they get in a relationship and they get pressured and they think, well, if I give them my body, maybe they'll give me their heart. Come on. Or maybe you've got this young woman who, who she's dating someone, the, the, the boyfriend, the fiance, whatever. He does nothing to contribute to, 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 to the life. But she's thinking, oh, I'm 30 or I'm plus 30. I'm getting older. TikTok is ticking. Uh, my friends are having kids. My friends are getting married. And you know what? He's, he's not that great of a catch, but he'll do. And you compromise. You compromise. Or you got a guy who wants to impress a girl, so he'll go into debt to buy her all the things that he thinks will win her love and keep her. And he compromises. When marriage is your answer, you will compromise more than you should. Number two, when marriage is your answer, you also can become very demanding. You get very demanding with what you want. Look, look at that, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Come on, ladies. Say, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> Must have been, felt like more than a few days because look at this next one. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to go take her and make love to her. <laughs> now, does that sound nice and compassionate to you? Come on, dads. How many... You got a guy that comes in, hey, I want your daughter. Give her to me. I want to make love to her. Uh, I don't think you're going to be able to when I get done with you. Come on, dads. Anybody relate? It doesn't. Because this is, when you're reading this, Jacob is being very shallow. He's being very selfish. And, and, but, but the thing is, can we be honest? This happens in marriages every single day. Because basically what he's saying, I did my part, now you do yours. And what happens is in marriages, when that's the, 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 the mindset, you do your, I've done my part, you do yours, what you see is that marriage has become a contract, not a covenant. A contract is, as long as you live up to this, this right here, I'm, I'm good, I'll stay with you. As long as you do with what I like, I'll stay with you. But the moment I don't like it, I'm out. That's contract. Covenant is this. I'm in this for the long haul. Y'all have heard me say, I told Denise, you ever leave me, I'm going with you. <laughs> I'm going with you. But, but, 
but, but it does. We get this, I've done my part, uh, you, you've done your, and it can happen in a lot of different ways, but if we're being real today in marriage and in relationships, sex is the most common place that it takes place. I'm care, taking care of my obligations, now you take care of yours. Until I get what I want, I'm going to hold out. Are we being, I say, I just warned y'all. We're going to talk real. We're going to talk real. And this, we, when we talk about marriage and relationships, uh, now, ladies, don't, don't stay with me for a minute. Women, men, women can be demanding. Not a man said it. Not in the 9 a.m. neither, but I saw men all over the place going, <laughs> look at my eyes, I'm agreeing. Women can be demanding. I mean, let's be honest. Fix this, do that. You never do this right. Well, I might as well just do it myself. And ladies, what happens, you have all these stored up expectations that never really get verbalized or communicated. Why? Because we should know. Us men, we should know. Let me help you out, ladies. We don't know. We don't have a clue. We are as dumb as a box of rocks when it comes to a lot of things. We need you to spell it out for us and then do it again and again and again. Because by the time I've had this conversation, my brain has saw a squirrel over here and now I'm off somewhere else. So we need, we need to tell them. And so maybe, maybe it's the man that's demanding. Men, you can be demanding. Boy, it's saying if 9 a.m. the women were like, Amen. Men, you can be demanding. You got a wife, some mother. She works a full-time job. She's exhausted. And then you come in from your day's work wondering why supper ain't on the table, wondering why the house hasn't been cleaned when she's worked a full week too. Or how about this one, even worse? You've got a stay-at-home mom. That's what she does while you go to work, while the husband goes to work. And then he comes home and his attitude, boy, must be nice just to sit around all day. If you've ever verbalized that, then you've seen English over some bruising. <laughs> but when you think marriage is the answer, you get demanding you get demanding in some areas. Other thing, when you think marriage is the answer, you will always end up frustrated and unsatisfied. People enter, can we be honest? People enter marriage with really high expectations. Come on, uh, we're being real, right? Enter with these high expectations, and those expectations fall on one person. That's a lot of weight. Can we be honest? That, that's a lot of weight for one person to carry, and there's no way that one person can fulfill them. But again, Hollywood sets us up. Anybody remember this famous scene right here? We live in a cynical world. A cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. You complete me. I'm not just. Has... Shut up. Just shut up. 
You had me at hello. Oh. Oh. That is impossible. That is so much pressure on a man or a woman. Why, Kelly? Why, why isn't it possible? Because two broken people do not make a whole. Are you hearing me? Two broken people do not make a whole. And there's only one that can complete you. And husbands, it's not your wife. And wives, it's not your husband's. There's only one that can complete you. Guys, it's not your girlfriend. Girls, it's not your boyfriend. Come on. It's not. There is only one that can complete you. So if you think marriage is the answer, it'll always leave you frustrated and disappointed. Jacob sees Rachel. She's beautiful. I've got to have her. He works seven years, and it's finally his wedding day. There's a problem that Jacob doesn't know about, as there usually is with marriages. I tell couples this all the time. Uh, love, love is blind. Marriage is eye-opening. <laughs> and so, and so here, here's the problem. Uncle Laban over here is thinking, well, it's tradition that we marry the oldest daughter off first. And old lazy Leah. Things are not looking hopeful for her. Uh, <laughs> I apologize if I offended anybody, but it was funny. Uh, and and the thing you got to know about weddings, they were seven-day feasts where alcohol was involved. And you've got Jacob, who's been working seven years, and now it's party time. So Jacob, man, is with his friends, bachelor partying it up. He is getting a little toasted. He's getting a little wasted. And so Laban thinks, he'll never know. Read the story. Read the story. And so he says, what I'm going to do, he says, Take, he calls in a lid. He says, here, put this veil on. And on the seventh night, I want you to go in there to the bedroom. And she did, and he did. And so look what happened in verse 23. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. Now let's jump down to verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. And Jacob was like, Have I never seen her without makeup before? <laughs> and he realized he's been tricked. So Jacob says to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Can I tell you something? This will happen anytime you think that someone else can meet all your needs. And it's still happening with people who think marriage is the answer. You go into marriage thinking you're with Rachel and you wake up with Leah. You go into it thinking one thing, but then you wake up either the next morning or years later realizing it was something else. 
When you put all your hope and all, it, this one thing is going to satisfy. This is going to be the answer. I'm telling you, if you think that someone, one person can meet all your needs, you're going to go through marriage with all these expectations of the beautiful. But when you wake up, you're going to go, what just happened? Because no one person can meet all of your needs. But let's be honest. Leah had it. She was part of this too. She wasn't an innocent party. I mean, she knows she's not the pretty sister. She knows. And when her dad approaches her, she's like, okay. And so she, she's like, she, she does what a lot of women do today. Well, you know, he's a great provider. He's a good worker. And, and maybe he doesn't love me like I want to be loved. But at least it's something. Come on. When you read the rest of the story, you find Leah doing one thing after another, trying to gain Jacob's love. Just trying to be loved, trying to feel that emptiness. Look, look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. When God saw that Laban put his daughter into a situation where a man would not love her, and she willingly went into that situation for the purpose of being supported and, and, and having that in her life. So God said, she's not love, so I'm going to enable her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Uh, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for he said, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Then look what she says. Surely my husband will love me now. Her story is so many people's stories. When you walk through marriages, if I do this, maybe they'll love me now. If I make this money, if I make this much money, well, maybe they'll see value in me now. If I lose all this weight, well, then maybe they'll love me. Come on. Come, are, are we being serious? If I compromise my values and give in to this, well, then maybe they'll love me. I can't tell you the times that Denise and I have heard someone say somewhere to that effect, surely they'll love me now. I mean, our marriage is a wreck, but if we have kids, it'll fix it. Then they'll love me. Then they'll love me. Verse 32, she names her son Reuben, another son Reuben, or Reuben, because she says it's because the Lord has seen her misery. She says, surely my husband will love me. Verse 33, she gets pregnant again. She names this one Simeon. She says, because the Lord has heard that I'm not loved. Again, I'm not loved. I'm trying to fill a void. He gave me this one too. Verse 34. Look at this. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last. Finally, after three sons, my husband's going to love me. He's going to be attached to me. So she named him Levi. Verse 32, 33, 34, find, trying to find fulfillment in one person. But look at verse 35. She conceived again. And this time when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. This time, I've quit trying to find my fulfillment in this one person. 
This time I've quit trying to think that this person is everything. I'm going to, I'm going to find my fulfillment in God. And I will praise the Lord. When you read this story, what's missing in this entire story? I, I mean, honestly, what, what's not happening through any of this marriage story? No one ever prays. No one ever seeks God on what to do. Are you, are you following me? No one ever says, God, what should I do in this situation? God, is this a person? God, I'm going to seek you first. This whole story is based on this. What do I want out of this? What can I get out of this? Come on, you've got Jay Laban that says, what can I get out of Jacob? Seven more years. But Jacob is not, come on, all he wants out of this is a woman. And let's be honest, he can complain about getting the ugly sister first, but conceiving four times didn't happen with her just being in the tent. Are you following me? This whole thing is selfishness at its core. Even, even Aaliyah and Ray is selfish. When you read the whole story, selfishness to the core. And they're searching and looking, hoping they'll find the one. But the problem is they're searching and looking for the wrong one. And here's something you need to understand. If you're married, if you're engaged, if you're ever thinking about getting married, Here's what you need to know. God must always be your one and your spouse your two. Oh, come on, Kelly. No, no. God must always. See, so yes, if you want to be fulfilled in life, you do need to seek the one. It's just probably not the one that you thought. I'm telling you, you remember what Jesus said was the number one commandment when he was asked? Love, love God. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, make him your one. Make him your one. Those of you that are single, I encourage you, seek out the one. And you'll find that he is the only one that can complete you. Seek the one. Instead of, instead of out there searching and trying to find, why don't you say, God, I, I've said this before, I'm going to take some time off from dating so that you can make me who I need to be when the time is right. To those that are married, to really have the kind of marriage that God wants you to have, you've got to know the one. And it could be that the biggest reason why your marriage is not what you want it to be is because in your marriage, God is not the one. Because let me give you a newsflash. You can be a follower of Jesus. You can be a Christian and God still not be your one. Leah on her last child said, this time I will praise the Lord and his name will be Judah. Listen to me close. It was the older one the less popular one, the one nobody would pick to succeed that God chose to bring Judah into this world. Why is that important? Because years and years later, the Savior of the world would be born through Judah. Here's what I'm saying. 
even if things didn't start right, God can make a beautiful ending out of it. Maybe your marriage didn't start right. God can make something beautiful out of it. Maybe you were in a marriage and and right now you're in one of those pivotal points where it's like there is no passion. It's just two people. I'm telling you, God can make something beautiful. Because what you understand this, when two are seeking one, anything is possible. When the two are seeking one, you say, where do I start? If I can get Bob or Bubba to come on up. Where do I start? Here's the best thing you can do, husbands. If you're married, wives, if you're married, grab the hand of your spouse. And you may have never prayed together. But you may not even know how to pray. But maybe you just start right here. God, teach us to make you the one. Start there. Singles, in your prayer time, God, teach me to make you the one. To quit trying to find my fulfillment. Quit trying to fill the void and everything else. And let me see you're the one. Because here's couples, marriages, relationships. I'm telling you, I believe is if you will join hands and begin to seek him, there is no telling what God can do. There's no telling that something that you think is ugly, unfixable, that God cannot turn around and bring a miracle. I know it. We have seen it too many times in this house. You've heard the testimony of of Shannon and Anthony. Anthony will tell you, how many years ago, Anthony, did you come into my office? Two, two and a half? You know why he was there? To get me to help, for me and Denise to help his wife then walk him through him getting ready to leave and divorce. And God began to work in him. And here we are two, two and a half years and their marriage is stronger than it's ever been. We prayed, how long ago did we pray for healing in your body? She had had this ongoing symptom for years and I felt like in one service said Anthony lay your hands on your wife and declare healing and I mean God worked a miracle and then Anthony comes in here two Monday nights ago he says PK the enemy's trying to bring those symptoms back pray and and I began to declare right there with him and declare and I loved getting to see her post on Facebook playing in the snow who knew life could be this good and feel this good God works miracles and that's just one marriage story there are others that have walked through hell and back but because they chose to seek the one God healed their marriage stand with me across this room